Good God. So worship was uh, especially encouraging today, wasn't it? You know, we get just a little, little glimpse of what worship is going to be like in the kingdom. Whew. Can you imagine? <laughs> all the earth, all the earth, praising and thanking God at the top of our lungs. Can you imagine? Oh, it's going to be an amazing time, isn't it? What a, it almost make you sell everything you have just to follow him, huh? Hmm. Hint. That's where we're going. The book of Acts ends with these words. In Acts chapter 28, verses 30 and 31. And he, that is Paul, stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him. This is in Rome. Preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. I find it interesting that often the substance of our gospel presentations say very little about the kingdom of God. Yet you see in the book of Acts that Paul mentions this. I've talked about it in our, in our evangelism class, how he, what he preaches is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. Why? Why isn't that in a track? I, I, I challenge you, find kingdom of God in any track written. Sadly, even in our own. It's not mentioned. It's because we've, I really believe, it's, it's because we've made salvation so much about the individual relationship with God that we fail to properly see the big picture of God's plan for His kingdom. In so many ways, our individualistic, autonomous society flies directly in the face of the kingdom of God. Self-rule, instant gratification, self-promotion over submission to one king and being a part of a larger group with a higher goal. This is the problem of our society and our culture, isn't it? We're all about who? Ourselves. Do we joyfully see ourselves as a small part of something bigger and greater? Or do we see ourselves as the center of our universe with everything revolving around us and our thoughts and our desires? Sadly, I think that the gospel that has been proclaimed has distorted this truth and made us, and it played to our society and our culture. Our society and our culture have, have made it all about me and about my own personal walk with God and my own personal relationship. We even call it that, don't we? We call it the personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Yet it's often never described that way in the Bible. 
Do we have a personal relationship with him? Yes. But ultimately, we're a small part of something much bigger, the kingdom of God. We're citizens in his kingdom. But we don't think that way, do we? Especially here in America, we're all focused on who? Ourselves and our own walk. and our own, It's us. But are we a part of a kingdom of one? Or are we a part of a great kingdom of God? The kingdom he is building is all about bringing who glory? Him, not us. You know what I love about worship on Sunday mornings? Is it's not about me. It's all about him. You know, listen closely. It is, there is an element that you should be worshiping all through the week. You should be thinking all through the week. How can I? You should be singing praises to God. But it should pinnacle at Sunday morning. And you know why? Because on Sunday morning, we become just one small part of a bigger picture of worship. It's almost like when we're singing, it's really not about us at all. We begin to blend in. That's one of the reasons why we don't do a whole bunch of solos. Why? Because it's about corporate worship. We're all kingdom citizens. We want to exalt God, right? This should be your time of worship. Jesus spent much time describing his kingdom... And there is definitely a present reality to this kingdom today, now. While it's hidden in many ways, isn't it? Still to this day, the kingdom is kind of hidden. It's behind the scenes. But Jesus is still adding kingdom citizens day after day after day. Maybe with some of the Chinese students that came and visited, maybe one of them was a kingdom citizen that he was working to add to his kingdom. The good news is is that one day he will return and he will establish his kingdom here. And all those that are opposed to King Jesus will be what? They will be destroyed. And only the righteous will reign. Can't wait to that day. It's going to be an amazing day. We need to know as much about this kingdom as we possibly can. And I'm telling you, beloved, we need to study this and study this and study this because it flies in the face of our society and our culture. It goes totally against it. It's not about us. It's about him. If you're part of the kingdom, your life is about the king, not yourself. And it's a big part of all believers' future, too. I know you're taught in this world that your kingdom is now. (laughs) You're building your kingdom now. Make everything now. But you understand it's really about a kingdom to come. A future, isn't it? All we're doing is adding kingdom citizens and proclaiming a kingdom to come. It's not your best life now. In fact, it's your hard life now. This is a time of struggle and trial. 
because there's tears everywhere. And there's this constant battle that's going on. We live in this world differently, though, than the rest of the people that live on this world because we're a part of that kingdom of God. So we've been studying these parables Jesus has given about the kingdom in Matthew 13. And it's kind of unfolded this, hasn't it? It's shown us all these great truths about the kingdom that we're a part of. First we saw in verses 1 through 9, there was the kingdom of heaven is only truly embraced by those that the sovereign sower has worked in. The, the one who is the ultimate king, who has worked in their hearts. In fact, the message was disguised in parables to hide from the sower's opponents. He gave parables, why? So that not everybody understood the kingdom of heaven. That only some got it, not all got it. In fact, this message of the kingdom is itself disguised by parables. The message itself is disguised. So that only those that have ears to hear and eyes to see, spiritual ears to hear and eyes to see, embrace it and enjoy it and love it. But only those that have eyes to see and ears to hear. Ultimately, what we see is is that the word of the kingdom is hidden light. It's hidden light. Wait, how do you have hidden light? Hidden light in, in that... The kingdom is happening and it's, it's being proclaimed, but yet it's not clear to everybody, but it's bright light to those who believe. Very interesting. This is what parables are like. For us who believe in Christ, they illumine and show us the glory of the kingdom. And we go, wow, that's bright. That's amazing. These are great truths. For the unbeliever, it's like, I don't get it. But this, what is he talking about? It doesn't make any sense. It's hidden light, the word of the kingdom. Second, we saw the kingdom of heaven grows up among us, among others who have opposed the kingdom, the wheat and the tares in verses 24 to 30, and then explained in 36 to 43. The tares, which were explained by Jesus to be the sons of the evil one, right? And we ultimately saw the hidden element of who who are the kingdom citizens. The hidden element of who are the kingdom citizens. In other words, look folks, you've got to understand this. That there are two kingdoms. And it's not the nations of the earth. There's the kingdom of the wheat and the kingdom of the tares. And that's what's happening right now. And we don't necessarily always see it, do we? We can't always discern. And the wheat and the tares are often growing up side by side. Until some fruit is produced by the wheat. And then we know, oh, these people exalt King Jesus, so therefore they're the wheat. The hidden element of who are the kingdom citizens. Next, there were two unexplained parables that we talked about last week. The parable... We covered them, and we see the, the hidden small beginnings become an enormous kingdom of worshipers. The kingdom of heaven started with a small, relatively obscure beginning, 
but it's growing into a great multitude of kingdom citizens. The kingdom of heaven was compared to a mustard seed growing into a large tree and a little bit of leaven that transforms a large amount of flour. This means, again, as it says, the hidden small beginning becomes an enormous kingdom of heaven. What was the small beginning? Jesus, right? Jesus died a relatively obscure death. Nobody knew. He's outside the, outside the city gates. Yet, in his death, burial, and resurrection began what? The kingdom. And citizens can be added to this great kingdom. One commentator stated this, It is clear that at present, today, the kingdom of heaven operates not finally, but quietly from small beginnings. I'll say it again. Listen closely. This is the kingdom that we're a part of. It it is clear that at at present, the kingdom of heaven operates not finally, but quietly and from small beginnings. Beloved, you need to understand this when you go into the workplace. You need to understand that you're hanging out with people that aren't necessarily kingdom of heaven citizens yet. And that all that you see, the news, the media, and all these things, the things that you're seeing, they're not properly explaining this. You have people fighting all the time, don't we? And we think, well, that's the good guys and the bad guys. But do you understand that in... In reality, most of the good guys and the bad guys that are fighting, they're actually on the same team? No. Yeah. You have good guys and bad guys fighting, but ultimately most of them are all bad guys. And that's how Satan runs his kingdom. He creates chaos and fighting between his own people. But the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of citizens, we're different. We're distinct. We don't fight. We just want to live at peace with all men. And we want to proclaim the glories of our king, Jesus. That's all we want, right? We don't have really any political agendas, do we? We're not trying to fight. I just want to serve King Jesus. How about you? We fall into the trap, don't we? We make it kingdoms against kingdoms when in fact we're embracing Satan's ploy. But God clearly started something small and is making something great even if we don't see it all the time. There is this overall theme of a hidden element of the kingdom that's pointed to in all these parables. The message of the kingdom of heaven... Itself is hidden light, embraced by only some. The hidden element of who are in the kingdom and who aren't. The hidden element of the small beginning that becomes an enormous kingdom of worshipers. You see how it all works out? It's hidden. It's hidden in plain sight. So this hidden concept is an important point of the whole chapter. And all of these parables point to this idea. And who gets it? Who gets it? Only those that have ears to hear and eyes to see. Only those that the sovereign sower has worked in their lives so that they see it. And we interpret the world in a whole different way, don't we? This theme will continue today of this hidden element in the next parable, or the next pair of unexplained parables. 
But I want to kind of back up just a little bit and look at verse 39. I want you to look through 43 and the explanation. Because I, when I went over this a couple weeks back about the explanation, I, 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 I emphasized the positive that it, or the negative of the judgment of the gnashing of the teeth of the tares. But there is one more emphasis here I want you to notice. Look at verse 39. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil, talking about the tares, right? And the harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are angels. So the time when it's going to be shown completely who are the wheat and the tares is at the end when God judges and he sends his angels. And his angels bring about a reaping. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. So right before the kingdom starts, you have this big judgment that's going to happen. Hmm, that sounds something like a tribulation, a judgment to come. It's coming. Verse 41 The Son of Man will send forth His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What is this? This is the time before the finale of the kingdom. There's this judgment that's going to happen on all the earth. And what's going to happen? The tares are going to be what? Destroyed. At this point. But then this beautiful verse. Verse 43. Look at it. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun. In the kingdom of their father. He who has ears let him hear. What in the world? This is a beautiful verse. Verse 43. What is this? So we talked in the sermon about the wheat and the tares, about judgment coming for the tares, but notice Jesus was explicit in his reference to hell that there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth for those who reject the king and his kingdom. But I didn't get to fully explain this. Glory to come. The glory to come for the wheat, for those that are kingdom citizens. I want you to look at this verse because it's spectacular. The glory of the king and his kingdom is a a rich treasure to know and be a part of. If we are members of his kingdom, we are truly greatly blessed, beloved. We have lots to look forward to. We have a great hope to look forward to. Look at these words. Then the righteous will shine. The righteous will shine forth as the sun In the kingdom of their father. We who have embraced the hidden kingdom. We who have embraced the king. That started as a mustard seed. Just a small insignificant appearance. Apparent insignificant. Savior. Has grown and he is our king and our Lord. And our God. We who have embraced him. We are the righteous. Now, I know we've done this before, but I think it's significant here. How many of you are the righteous? I get a few more hands every time. A few more hands. 
Beloved, it's not that we are righteous in and of ourselves by ourselves. It's we're righteous. We're declared righteous by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because all of our sins are paid for. Our King paid for our sins. And we are now declared right with Him. And by His grace alone, we are the righteous. And all of His righteousness is credited to our account. And we are now His children his followers, his disciples. And by the grace of God, God is working in us to produce righteousness, isn't he? We are being sanctified, set apart, being made to be holy as he is holy. This is the righteous. Everybody who has repented of their sins and trusted in Christ, you are the righteous. And all God's people say, amen, right? Praise the Lord. We're a part of the kingdom. We're the righteous. I have to admit, I know it hasn't come to completion yet. It hasn't come to completion yet. You know why? Because, yes, you're looking at a sinner. A sinner saint. I'm still in this body of death. Aren't you? So we must be looking forward to something in the future. And what is that? And we will shine forth as the sun. I know my kids at times have said, well, Dad sure isn't shining forth as the sun right now. I know my wife would say that too. I'm not shining forth as the sun right now. I'm still in this body of death, falling on my face daily recognizing my need of a Savior, remembering that it's only by His grace that I'm declared righteous. I'm a sinner saved by grace alone. We must see, however, this world in those light, in this light, of what we will be and what is coming. Boy, if you're all caught up with the things of the world right now, this ain't going to make any sense, is it? If it's all about the size of your house and the big bank account you have, this isn't going to make any sense and it's not going to make, it's going to be useless to you. Again, the kingdom of heaven's perspective is not about flashiness and showiness now. It's about the future and the glory to come and the worship to come. We almost remember our king was rejected by most of his own people, right? And was murdered. Why would we think that God would do things any different for his own kingdom citizens? We're still living in the same world. And the angels haven't come back yet, have they? Are the wheat and the tares described differently? Are they defined? Are they separated? It hasn't happened. So what should we expect? We should be expected to be treated just like our king. But now let me ask you a question. Is it worth it? Absolutely. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Overwhelmingly, yes. Why? Because we're going to shine forth as bright as the sun. Glory's coming, and I'm going to look like who I am in Christ. And I'm going to know him as he knows me. 
Wow, I can't wait for that day. Instead of judgment, the kingdom citizens receive forgiveness and eternal rest and joy in the Lord. The reward and the results of the kingdom are eternal and they are incalculable, aren't they? Infinite. Notice more of the blessings, though, it says. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. The righteous, those declared right with God, will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of the father. This is profound here. It's probably pointing to the passage we read in our Old Testament passage. In Daniel chapter 12. Look over there again. Daniel chapter 12. In Daniel chapter 12... Daniel is given a prophecy of something that's going to happen in the future. And he's told in verse 2, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but to the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Do you see how this is almost identical to what? The parable of the kingdom and how you have the tares and the wheat and how what's going to happen. Do you see it? But notice, those who have insight, wow, I really believe Jesus has this on his mind as he's telling these parables to his men. Those who have insight, wait, 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 who are the ones that have insight? Those who have ears to hear and eyes to see. Those who the parables have been explained to. Those who are the disciples. Those who are the righteous. The righteous. Those who have insight will shine brightly as like the brightness of the expanse of the heaven. And those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words. Seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. In other words, hey, this is still a secret hidden thing. Even when Jesus shows up, what's, uh, what do we know about the kingdom? To a degree, it's hidden. But there's a day coming when it will all be shown. And the great worship will begin. Daniel spoke of this coming resurrection and the reign of the righteousness. Or the reign of the righteous in the kingdom. And then Jesus references the passage to describe the wheat the sons of the king. And again, the righteous are those who are declared right through faith in Christ. But second, the figurative language of shining forth as the sun or the heavens is pointing to the glorified state of the believers to come. Those who reflect the glory of the Lord in themselves and from themselves in the kingdom to come. I can't wait. It's going to be a great day. But then now turn back, turn back to Matthew 13. And he adds this little phrase, and it's not a part of the quote from Daniel. Jesus adds another profound blessing. More insight to the hidden kingdom. Look at what's going to be what it's going to be like. Then the righteous will shine forth in the sun, as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Oh. He who has ears, let him hear. The kingdom of his father. The kingdom of their father. Their father. Oh, beloved, we float over these passages. We've run by them, but there is profound truth here. 
say, what is it? What is it, Mike? Well, we take for granted that we say, Abba, Father, don't we? But this is profound truth. God himself becomes our Father. Not only are we kingdom citizens, but we're also heirs, heirs of God, children of God. Do you see how after Jesus explains this in the parables, then Paul does what in Romans chapter 8? He explains the whole thing. He gives us a glimpse into the glory to come. Oh, folks, this is amazing. Jesus gives these little glimpses into what the kingdom's going to be like and what being in Christ is going to be like in the parables. And it's hidden to a degree. But once he dies and rises from the dead, then the apostles get the message. They understand the eyes are open. They get it completely, right? And they begin to unfold the glories of the kingdom. And what does Paul preach? The kingdom of God. You say, well, Mike, where is Paul talking about the kingdom of God? Turn over to Romans chapter 8 real quick. Do you see how one verse in a passage just like blew my mind this week? I was like, this is profound stuff. <laughs> all in, the, in this one little explanation of the parable, he throws all this glory. <laughs> Look at Romans 8. This is what studying the Bible is all about, folks. When you get there and you see something, you go, oh, wow. <laughs> this is wow. <laughs> Y'all remember when I did the adoption messages? Guess what? I didn't cover this passage in my dissertation. I just flew right over it. Didn't even know it was there. But it's there. It's part of it. It's a pointing to the adoption passages where we're spiritually adopted and God becomes our what? Our Father. And when does that happen to fullness? At glory. When the kingdom returns. The king returns and establishes his kingdom. How do I know? Because I preached it in Romans chapter 8. Because he talks about it. Look at this, folks. In Romans chapter 8, let's start in verse 14. This is amazing. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. You understand, this is in the sanctification part of Romans where he's talking about who we are in Christ and that we are now sons of God, right? Then he explains, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. This is the new relationship that we have as kingdom citizens, as sons of God. This is already a truth about who we are. We are the righteous, but we are also the sons of God. We're the adopted children of God. And we cry out to our Father, our Abba, Father. You say, well, Mike, okay, that's great. That's who we are, but I'm sure not experiencing that right now. Am I? Are you? Do you fully experience that glory, that Abba, Father? Well, I yes, I have it, but I'm also living in this body of death, and this place is really wretched. This planet I live on is wretched, isn't it? 
But notice the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. We're verified. We're validated. The Spirit actually confirms it that we are His children. And if children, what? Heirs also. Wait a second. Heirs. Heirs. Adopted children. Heirs. What is an heir? Often it's associated with a king. And it's inheritance that we're adopted children of God. We're heirs of God. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Wow. This is truly a glory to come, isn't it? Uh, And then he throws cold water on us. If indeed we suffer with him. So that we may also be glorified with him. Just like the kingdom. Wait. Do you see how it all unfolds? The kingdom is hidden. But we're a part of it. We're his kingdom citizens. We're his sons. We're his heirs. He's our father. He's our Abba father. The spirit indwells us. We're enjoying it. But we're also what? Still here. And we're suffering. We're suffering for him. And with him. So that we may also be glorified with him. But beloved, what is it that gets me up in the morning? What is it that makes me keep going? What is it that keeps me serving King Jesus when the world is falling apart around me? What is it? It's the hope of the future. It's the hope of the future. That's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 13. It's coming. Same thing. The wheat and the tares. One's going to shine forth, and the other's going to be destroyed. He's talking the same way. I mean, they're almost identical here. Look. Look at the next one. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the ancient longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. You know what that is, beloved? That's the wheat and the tares. Being distinguished. Showing the difference. Same thing. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of, look at this, of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers pains of childbirth together until now. And everybody in the room says, Amen, I feel that, don't you? And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruit of the spirits. Even we ourselves groan within our souls, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. What is that? We will shine forth brightly as the sun. The redemption of these bodies. Don't you, I don't know about you, but these are the kind of things that make me go, oh, oh, cool. Because God, his plan, he was like, okay, let me show you. And he gave the parable, 
gave these parables, and the people were like, oh, yeah, yeah, I get it. I think, and you'll see it in a second, the disciples are asked, he asked them, do you get this? And they go, yes! <laughs> I don't think they really got it. You'll see later as we go through Matthew, they're like, no, 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 I didn't really get this. Because as the son is taken away from them, they go, what? That didn't make sense. They didn't really get it, did they? They didn't get it fully at that point. But they were his. And he was going to reveal himself to them. So in the parable of the wheat and the tares explanation, Jesus pointed forward to the believers coming glorification and adoption. He's going to be, he is our father now because we have the first fruit of the spirit that lives within us. But we are waiting eagerly for our final adoption. Well, we will cry out, Abba, Father. Hey, you know, we're going to sing holy, holy, holy again, I think. I think that hymn might be sung in heaven. Oh, really? It's an amazing song. I think it's pretty amazing. You got to admit, the angels sing what? Holy, holy, holy. They say it over and over and over, day and night. But the next time we do it in heaven, when we do it in heaven, beloved, whoa. Can you imagine millions of people, every tribe, tongue, nation, people singing at the top of their lungs? That's the worship service I want to be at. And we're going to shine forth as the glory of the sun. Praising our Father. Can't wait. How about you? Let me ask you a question. That was the introduction to the message, by the way. You're like, you got 10 minutes to wrap the whole thing up. Are you with me? What I mean by that. Do you see just how amazing it is to be a part of this kingdom? Do you see it? Do you want to be a part of it? You'd do almost anything, wouldn't you? Would you give your life up for it? you, if God said I want you to sell everything I want, I'm going to take everything away from you you're going to die for me would you do it to be a part of that kingdom everybody in the room that knows the glory of the king and knows this glory there would be nothing that would stop us from taking that would it Even my own family, I love my family, I love them, but I love Jesus more. I'm sorry, kids, I love you, but I love Jesus way more. And I want to be a part of Christ Jesus' kingdom. I want it more than my father, my mother, my wife, my kids, my job. I want it more than this life. I just want Him. Just want to be a part of that kingdom, don't you? And the next two parables are now easy to understand. 
Very easy to understand. Look at it. Verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid it again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Let me ask you a question. Do I have to explain that? I don't even have to explain it, do I? Do you get it? (laughs) It doesn't even have to be explained. Knowing the king and being a part of his kingdom, being declared right with God, and being a part of this great kingdom of worshipers, And shining forth as the sun. It's just like this guy that finds a treasure in a field. And says, I've got to have that field. So that I can have that treasure. So I'm going to sell everything I have just to have that treasure. Easy, isn't it? And then... The next one is just as easy. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold sold all that he had and bought it. Sold all he had and bought it. Why? What's his point? Being a part of the kingdom... Knowing the king is more valuable than everything that we have. That's the point. Nothing that we have in this world compares to being a part of the kingdom of God. Nothing compares to knowing and loving and enjoying King Jesus for the rest of our life. Friends, this is the climax of the kingdom parables. If we get the value of being a kingdom citizen and being one of the heirs of the king, then everything we have pales in comparison. Boy, doesn't that sound just like the Apostle Paul? If we went back to eight, you'd see it, right? He would say, I would suggest that nothing that we suffer even compares to the glories to follow. Same thing. (laughs) Same thing. So, question. Why do we hear of, quote-unquote, famous evangelicals walking away from the church right now, then? Why do people leave their profession of faith? Why do people hear the word of God and reject it? The simplest answer is is they just don't get it. Listen. If you abandon your profession of faith, you just don't know what you really were a part of or you profess to be a part of. If you really know 
King Jesus and the glory to come, there is nothing, nothing, nothing that will let you slide away. Yeah, but you just don't know my flesh. You don't know my fleshly desires. If your fleshly desires are greater than the kingdom and being a part of that, then you just don't know the kingdom. And you don't know the king. If you don't understand the great value of the pearl, if you don't know the great value of the treasure, one day you will walk away. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Why? Because King Jesus is better than anything in this world. He's the great price. He's the great treasure. He's the great pearl. And I'm a part of his kingdom. And to do anything but follow him is absolute insanity. Do you know him? Do you know him that way? Is he better than your job? Is he better than your wife? Is he better than your kids? Is he better than your parents? Is he better than your savings account? Is he better than your house? If in his sovereignty he has us all lose all of those things, will we be okay? Absolutely. See, here's the deal. Here's the deal. There's no greater joy we could have than to know Christ and be in his kingdom. There's no greater pleasure. Good truth, right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your glorious truth. I feel like, Lord, we've only scratched the surface of the glory to come. Father, we pray that you will help us to know you, to know your glory. Oh, Abba, Father, send King Jesus soon. We long for the day when we will be given our redeemed bodies, fully glorified, and fully enjoying our adoption as sons and daughters. God, we need you. The allure of this enemy is so intense. And our flesh is so weak. I guess it's strong in a sense, God, because it constantly wages war against you. But thanks be to God, through Christ Jesus, we will be with you forever.
Spirit work in us to put to death the deeds of the body. To place our hope and our faith and our trust completely in you. To pursue you no matter what comes between us and you. We love you. We thank you for the kingdom promises. We pray this in King Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand. Amen.